Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shannon and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Today on Sense of Soul, we are so excited. We have Sunil Godsey. He's been a public speaker for over two decades and is the author of two books. His first book is Gut, What Is It? How to Trust It? And How to Use It. His second book is Fail Fast, Succeed Faster. He is also the host of his own podcast that is called Intuitionology. He's a blogger. His website is amazing. He's been featured in many magazines. He's been on the stage. He has interviewed some amazing people. He talks about one of Shannon and I's favorite things, and that is intuition and how to learn to utilize it and how it speaks to you. And we cannot wait to talk to you about intuition. Thank you for coming on today to Sense of Soul. Welcome. Well, thank you so much, Mandy and Jenna. I'm really excited to come on board, drop some knowledge bombs. And those listening or watching are going to come away with information I'm going to put together so that when it comes to intuition or sense of soul, they'll, they're going to have practical steps, how they can live with them sensing their soul in every decision that they make. Love that. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much for joining us. We're excited. I listened to some of your podcast and I loved every episode that I got a chance to listen to. So I would definitely recommend it. One thing I wanted to ask you about was your story about when you were five years old. Can you tell us about yourself as a child? And please do also tell us the story about your hungry desire to have video games. Yeah, absolutely. And so when I was a child, so my, my dad was super busy trying to grow a business. And my mom was a homemaker and we found ourselves, myself, my two siblings, spending a lot of time on our own. And for me, that gave me a lot of time to reflect and think about things. We also lived sort of away from the school. So we didn't have a lot of friends in that area, which is not a bad thing. I, I, don't, I don't see that as a negative, but it got me time to reflect a lot. And I remember, distinctly remember, this is the first time that I distinctly remember intuition hitting me now that hindsight's 2020 is there were these video games that I wanted my dad to buy. And he was saying that they're way too expensive. And um, I had this distinct voice that told me, Sunil, you need to go door to door to raise money. And I, that's what I did. This is five-year-old kid went door to door, lots of milk and cookies. And Gosh, uh, I, I raised 200 bucks. Right. And so a hundred dollars went to my dad. But the other $100 went to charity because that's what my school was doing at the time. And I really felt good about that. Aww. And that was my first brush, I guess, with intuition or the signals that intuition gives you. And it was so loud. It was so clear. What happens, though, as you age, it, I, I often describe people like bananas where the fruit <laughs> is inside. But what happens is as you start to listen to society and other people's opinions, you don't really care about what you want or what you want to think. The peels start coming up. Uh, and the signals get less loud, they get quieter, you start missing the, the, the subtle, more subtle signals. And, you know, as I came up to even my career, uh, you, you know, I, I'm a South Asian male. So there's like four career doors you have It's doctor, lawyer, engineer or failure. Uh, right. And uh, I picked door number three, um, I, I wanted to pick door number four, which was failure, because I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Everything uh -huh. I've done, like Hansel and Gretel leaving breadcrumbs, everything that I had done that I excelled at, just spoke, just reeked of entrepreneurship, but I drank the East Indian Kool-Aid. I became the civil engineer and I hated it, right? I listened to my dad who was there just for the East Indian vibe. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it was a career I just, I just lost so much of my time in. Two years into that career, I got a chance to be a private investor in a Mexican restaurant chain that came up to Canada. 
joined it. And pretty soon I was making five times more in dividends than I was as an engineer. And in year three, I quit my engineering to pursue my passion, which was entrepreneurship. And I unfortunately had to leave my relationship with my dad. He didn't speak to me for a number of years after mm -hmm. that. Uh, but I was doing what I wanted and my intuition was on fire. And I had six businesses, $20 million in revenues, became a management consultant, helping others, some Fortune 500 companies, just really owning the space that I was meant to be in. That's amazing. It was, again, it was just following that the intuition. Like when you start leaving these people behind that you know, aren't really guiding you properly or they're very selfish, um, you start ignoring those signals. And that's kind of how what the whole Intuitionology project is about, is getting people to you know, get back to those signals that are telling them what the right decision is or the wrong decision and having the purity in life to listen to them clearly. And that purity comes when you strip away these people that who you should not be living your life through their vision, uh, right? 99% of us are, are way too involved with, uh, there's a traumatic event. Uh, somebody said something, sometimes even just one sentence that throws us off people like my dad giving us advice without thinking about what I want, or we're just trying to prove to other people, uh, you know, look at me, I'm going to show you. And when we get into those areas, now you're looking through the lens of other people and not yours. Right. And so when we talk about living in the present moment, um, people talk about it, but they respectfully don't know what they're talking about. Uh, because when you are in the present moment, then you are listening to those intuitive signals because you're shoving away all those other opinions of others who don't matter. And then when you use your intuition to filter your relationships with those who do matter, that's how you accelerate success. Because now you're able to listen to those subtle intuitive signals that are saying, you can do this. And that's how you accelerate and live a life full of happiness and success. Whoa. So what you're saying is the people we surround ourselves with can cause some serious blockages in our own intuition. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it, it's so funny because it's, it's these, the intuitive signals that we, we're, we should be listening to that actually gets rid of them. And we'll touch upon a bit of the science, uh, you know, as we dive into the story a little bit more. Uh, but when I did look at the science, your, the trust factor is developed within 10 to 14 seconds. 10 to 14 seconds is when you know that there's someone you should be surrounding yourself with versus those that you don't. And we're so emotionally, they're not really connected. It's, it's almost like you're compelled in some way to hang on to these relationships for whatever reason, when you need to really kind of cut them off because they're the ones that really hold you back from success. Your intuition may be saying, go left or go right. But then you start doubting yourself because somebody else says, no, 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 you know, go right all the time, even though your intuition is saying go left. And for some reason, you, we hang on to these people and we don't realize that we should have let them go a while back, you know, and I had one, I was doing a speaking event at a college. Uh, there were some professors, administrators, and students in the crowd. And there was a student that when I started talking about these emotional attachments to people, I can easily, like she stood out because her face went flush and she started crying after my talk. I just made sure she was okay. And she just said, yeah, there's, there's something I need to do when you started talking about these people, because there was somebody that was really affecting their marriage. And this, she's had been married for 10 years with, with her husband and somebody kept being this sort of toothpick in there, you know, just pricking these, these two. And it really drove a wedge between her and her husband. I saw her three weeks later and the week after she had seen me speak, 
she actually just cut that person off. And she said, my relationship with my husband has never been better. And she says, thank you so much because I got rid of that one person that was coming in the way of me and my husband. Some people say it's hard, but why is that hard? It's hard because we're in some habits. We're emotionally drawn to keep having the relationship. It doesn't mean sometimes that you have to cut them off. Sometimes you just want to keep them you know, farther away, as, as for example, in a work situation or in a family situation where you have to have some, I mean, you're, you're meeting them at parties or family gatherings or what have you, you can still maintain a really good relationship, but you don't allow them into your inner circle. You don't allow them to affect your psyche, your emotional well-being, because yeah. you, you just, you keep their advice at bay. I've even found that sometimes at a different phase of their life, you can, you know, have a different relationship again, because I've yep. had that where, you know, someone is going through so much and they're just hundred percent negative all the time. And it's just like, I can't. And then later on, when they start becoming more positive, you, you know, you can reconnect with them. But I think that, yeah, we don't have to have anybody in our life. I mean, but yeah, we absolutely. forget that we have this choice. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, you're right. It's an ebb and flow, right? I've got some yeah. friends that we were good friends for six years. We were every single day or second day we were together, but something changed and something is, and you can't control what other people go through. So if other people aren't in tune with their intuition, maybe they've got a caustic relationship that dives them away from being true to themselves and their values who you enjoyed, uh, then yeah. they shift those values. Then your intuition is going to say, whoa, something's changed. Their values are very different from mine, so much so that I don't think we can be friends. I'm not saying that your values have to match 100%. No, no two people are the same. But there's a tolerable limit that your intuition will allow you to have. And when that gets out of that limit, then you get those subtle signals saying, mm, 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 something's changed. And mm. it does give second chances. This is not a question of second chances. It's your, you have the problem when you give third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances that you start wasting your time in these relationships. And so you have to be mindful of those people that change to move out and those change that uh, people that change to move back in, as you say, and it's going to be an ebb and flow uh, for the rest of your life. But in the end, what intuition is really doing is protecting you from surrounding those people on a constant basis that really move your life forward, that give you the self-confidence to make those decisions, to live a life full of happiness, success, or make the decisions that lead to success because the others get you to doubt yourself. And there's the question of opportunity cost as well. And what opportunity, the way the opportunity cost works is, and I'll give you a very good example. One of the fellows I interviewed was a fellow by the name of Vin Jang, international magician, and now he's doing communication expertise. So back in 2016, this guy was apparently on fire, 100,000 people a year, 80 stages. And from, for everything on the external perspective, everything looked good for everybody else except himself. And so his intuition finally said, listen, Vin, you got to take some time out. You're, you are in such a bad shape personally, uh, intrinsically. And so what he did is he went to New Zealand um, and no cell phone service, nothing tells his wife he's got to fix this. And he starts putting up these values on the wall and he stares at these pieces of paper and he says, wow, this is what my wife wants. This is what society wants. This is what my manager wants. This is what my career wants where am I? Like, where's Vin in this? And so he takes down these pieces of paper, puts up the pieces of paper up again for what he wanted uh, in life. And what he was saying is that what he thought would be a liberating uh, exercise, something that was so cathartic, 
was actually frightening because for the very first time in his life, he's given himself permission to be him. He's never done that before. And he was so frightened by doing that. And the second thing that you have to do is when you go through this exercise, you actually have to take action. You actually have to make the decision to separate yourself from those people so that you can make those decisions. And when Vin came back, he fell back in the same circle of friends, same downtown LA lifestyle, same dumb decisions that he made that were so branded. And six months later, his parents come up from Australia and his mom pulls him aside. And he says, there's this saying in Vietnamese that when you hang around squid, eventually you're going to get ink on you. And his mother just said, you're not my boy. Where's my boy? And from that point, he decided to cut everybody out. He gave up his Mercedes for a minivan, <laughs> sold his downtown LA, moved out to the suburbs. But he was so happy. And if he wanted to change his career, he's going to do that. That was six months that he didn't take action, fell into that thing. And when we talk about opportunity costs, as I was saying before, it's not just the six months that he had gone back to making the bad decisions. It's also the six months that he could have made the right decision. And so he actually lost a year of his life. And so when I said that to Vin, I said, not only is it a year of your life that you've lost, but if you're in the business of helping 100,000 people a year through what you do, how many people did you leave behind? How many people didn't you help? And he said, I've never thought about that uh, like that, Sunil, never. And it hit home for him. So when you think it's hard to leave a relationship, think about the relationships that you could have in that same time that moves you forward, that is so cathartic, that makes you happy, that makes you laugh, that really gives you the opportunity to celebrate your life with someone else. And you can have that. Uh, I have that with my relationships because I'm very careful about who I surround myself with, who I have around my family. And so when I meet with friends, it's a joy because these are the exact people I want to be around. And what better way to live life than to be surrounded by people like that because they are responsible for then helping me be who I am. They are responsible for me helping me spread this information and be successful in every aspect of my life. So they are the foundations for me to move forward. And mm -hmm. so I got to be very careful with that filtration mechanism that my intuition is helping me with. You know, my therapist, she had me years ago do that same exercise. It was a very powerful one for me because I'm a very visual person. She had me write them on clouds in the sky. And um, looking back at it, I was like, holy cloudy sky. It was a cloudy sky and there was not one cloud in the sky that was mine. Wow. Yeah. yeah so, you're, you're, so, so you're in somebody else's world. You're in completely in somebody else's world because that's not your sky. It's not your cloud. It's not the air you're breathing. It's somebody else's. You're on a different planet. Yeah. Well, and you, you touched on something that I've struggled with my whole life. And that is that self-trust. In the last three years, I've done a lot of work on that, but I think I surrounded myself with so many other people's clouds mm -hmm. <laughs> that I started to question my intuition. So how do we know if it's our intuition speaking or if it's our ego speaking or if it's someone else's thoughts speaking through our ego? So, so the easiest way to do this, and this is something, something people, you're, those listening or watching could do right away, is 
there's a lot of experience with intuition. Uh, and what you want to do is there's, there's, there's intuitive signals or feelings that you get when you make a decision. So if you look back and look at the good decisions that you made, you have to think about what did it feel like in the moment? And I'll get into the science of this. Is, and the reason why it's something that you feel is not something that you can define is that when I looked at the science behind intuition, it hits the limbic part of your brain. That's the first part of your brain, fight or flight. And all it knows is think, like, trust, do. Uh, and we define it. There's no capacity for language. So if you think it's, it's, it's coming from your soul, voices from God, manifestation, experience, that's fine. Everybody can have their own definition. Like I see it as an art and science. But just because I see it as an art and science, if somebody else, like one of the ex-NHL coaches I interviewed says it comes from the cosmos. So he's not wrong and I'm not wrong. It's our own definition. And so when it hits the limbic part of your brain, uh, it's, it's, it's feeling based. And so when you make a decision, what, do you, what does it feel like in the moment? Because those are the intuitive signals that you have. And you do the same thing for your positive signals, for the good decisions and the bad decisions. Those are the negative signals. And where you have to be paying close attention to the bad decisions is that the way that the bad, sorry, the negative signals is the negative signals actually start very subtle in nature and they get louder and louder and change until you can't ignore them anymore once you start ignoring them. So if you make a bad decision, you really have to pay attention to, was that decision number four or one? And if it was four, you got to go to three, two, and one and work yourself backwards to find when was the original time that I got, huh, I shouldn't be making that decision. Right. So let's say you and I, we all do, uh, uh, we spend the time to figure out what these signals are. And I'm pretty lazy. And so we meet for coffee, Mandy and Shana. And, and let's say you guys say we all share gut. Okay. And so let's say for you guys, gut is signal number one. And I come in and I haven't done my homework and say, oh, yeah, yeah, gut signal number one for me. If I've made the mistake of assuming gut is signal number one for me, but it's actually signal number three. Well, that just means I haven't done my homework and I've ignored signal number one and two because I haven't paid attention to those. And so if I miss those two signals, that means I've made two bad decisions. Those two bad decisions could be me just stubbing my toe in the door or it could be headed towards bankruptcy. I don't know the veracity of missing those two decisions. So you really have to spend your time figuring out what your inventory of positive and negative signals are. And you can do this. I have a free seven-day challenge online that takes you through that whole process. And there's a very specific seven-step process as you need to go. Um, and if we can get into that if you'd like. But one of the things that I want to tell people is that your signals, when they give you, like one of the misconceptions that came up time and time again is, but intuition, like the people think it's like just voices from God or how come you don't know if it's luck or is there an experience behind it? And when I did the research, there's actually four types of intuition that inform these signals. And the best way I can help you understand and those watching or listening is through a case study of someone who was a non-believer. So one of my friends, is, his name is John Rothschild. He was an investment banker where spreadsheets and data ruled his life. And so at the time that I was doing uh, my research for gut, everything was like manifestation, voices from God sort of woo-woo descriptions of it that he just did not resonate with. And so I, I, I phoned him up and said, John, I want to talk about intuition. And he goes, Sunil, I don't know what we're going to talk about. That, it, that stuff just not, it does not exist. Listen, I haven't, I haven't seen you for a while. I'll give you an hour. We'll talk about this intuition thing for about five minutes. 
and then we'll have a glad day and we'll catch up, right? And finally, I said, okay, great. So I'm driving down thinking, okay, this is not going to go well, I don't think. And so I turn on the cameras. And so this is, this is being recorded. I was trying to tell them about intuitive signals. And I even told them about a signal that there was a, a CEO that sees an omen on his right back shoulder. And every time he sees this omen, he says yes. And he's built two multi-million dollar businesses on this intuitive signal, which is an omen. And so he's just shaking his head. And John says, you know what? I omens and stuff. You know, I'd love to shake that guy's hand. But unfortunately, intuition doesn't exist. Intuition, you know what? Your successful decisions in life are based on learning and experience. And now we're going to start diving down the, the road of the four types of intuition, because one of the four types is called experiential intuition. And so you're born with intuition. And if you look at your brain like an iceberg, 90% is below water and the 10% is above water. And so as you're born in young five to 6,000 decisions per day, when you're older, 28 to 35,000 decisions per day, what it's doing is your intuition is taking all your experience, both formal and informal, all the learning, both formal and informal, the good stuff and the bad stuff of your stuff and others. And every single day, every single instance, it's putting it in the subconscious area of your brain like a library. So that when you make a decision and you get a signal, that signal is jam-packed with a lot of experience behind it, your experience, where you failed, where you succeeded, and the decisions that you've made in the past. So when you get a positive signal, that intuition, your intuition is saying, you've done this before, you've got the skill set, you can do this. That's why you can move ahead with it. And equally with a negative signal, it's looking back and saying, you know what, Sunil, you've done something in the past where this didn't turn out so well. And you're about to make that same type of decision again. I don't think you should be doing that. And so that's when you need to back away from that negative signal. And so what I was telling John is that sometimes your intuition has you go against the data. And he goes, that's kind of funny, Sunil, because I have a story like that. And I said, okay, please tell. Now we're going to get into the second of the four called uh, situational. John was in the business of putting a franchise locations in like McDonald's, Wendy's, Dunkin' Donuts. And so his team would do a benchmarking system that it, they would benchmark these on a 10. And anything that was a nine out of 10 would be a franchise they would go ahead with, a location. And they take a look at demographics, traffic patterns, development in the area as examples. There was a situation in Toronto where his team looked at a location and it was clearly a five and a half. It was a crappy area of Toronto. And John, it walks into this area and he looks around and his situational intuition is saying, hmm, there's something here. And John's now saying, perhaps it's intuition. So he's starting to use that word. And he said, I went against my team and we put a location there. And that ended up being the first location of the beer market, which was the most successful restaurant portfolios under his whole portfolio that he had under him. At some point, John was saying that his purpose changed, that he no longer wanted to be an investment banker, but he wanted to actually run a business. And so now we're going to get into the third of the four called relational intuition. And what relational intuition does is it filters those relationships through to only allow those people who really, really want to see you succeed. We were talking about that this earlier. And so for John, all of the people who are concerned with money, fame, ego, high-end restaurants, limousines, private jets, security, 
all of them said he was nuts. Not one of them bothered to ask him why, except his wife. And his wife said, John, why do you want to do this? And John says, at some point, you can have all the data, but you have to trust your intuition. This just feels right. And now John is talking about an intuitive signal. From 45 minutes earlier, this guy was saying, this thing does not exist. He is now telling me about how intuition influences his decision. And fourth of the four is called creative intuition. Creative intuition is the one that actually has you make the decision. And so if you're eating a sandwich, you're turning left at the lights. That's not very creative. Your creative intuition is pretty low. But it, in John's case, he wanted to go run a restaurant. And the reason why his creative intuition was very high is because this is a guy who made it was successful, 3 to $4 million a year running really successful businesses. But his intuition is saying, no, John, you're going to take over this tiny bankrupt little restaurant and run that. And so he did. He quit, rolled up his sleeves, trusted his intuition, and stepped into that tiny bankrupt restaurant. That tiny bankrupt restaurant was Eastside Mario's location number one. And over the next 20 years, he grew that to over $2 billion with a whole bunch of franchise brands. Why? Because it felt right. That's the power of intuition. That's the power of how you make successful decisions when you listen to the right people. Thank you. Wow, that was a powerful story. Go, John. Absolutely. It's just like when you have these two roads in front of you and this one's like so golden and shiny and has your attention, but your gut or whichever sign first is telling you to go down the shit road and you're like, why? But, you know, there's a lot of wisdom that comes with the shit road, right? And so sometimes you have to just take a chance. And I love that John took that chance on that shit restaurant that turned into a billion dollar amazing business. I wanted to ask you about synchronicity because we're talking a lot about signs and we're talking a lot of those are inner signs and, and feelings and listening to yourself within. What do you think about some of the outside signs um, as Carl Jung had spoke about and even wrote books on signs and synchronicity? Do you believe in synchronicity? Yeah, I absolutely do. Uh, and so the way I use, so there's, there's two ways that I'm thinking about. The first thing is so intuition is a two-way street. And so as much as your intuition is looking to move yourself forward, the intuition of others is also looking to you. And when they're in sync, you get this synchronicity happening. And so that's why in a business perspective, personally, that's why you attract those people that really love what you do and you love what they do. And in a business perspective, when you're living with your purpose, you have your story and you're telling what it is or what, how that product really solves uh, somebody's problem and you're being authentic with that messaging, then you resonate, your intuition resonates with the intuition of others. And with the research showing that trust is developed between 10 to 14 seconds, that's how much time you have to capture that employee that's going to want to work for you because he or she loves your story. The customer wants to buy from you more because he or she loves your story and they're going to tell more people. And the marketplace really loves the authentic nature of your story. And that's what you're putting out in social media. As long as it's authentic, as long as you're being open and honest, because you can stop the scroll on social media, but if there's inauthenticity down the funnel for those traditional words of, of that, nobody's going to buy from you because at some point their intuition is going to go, you're fake. 
And they're not going to tell you that. And so that's why you're going to go through hundreds of thousands of people to get the measly amount of sales if you're being inauthentic and you're a bottom feeder, right? And it's a short-term gain for long-term pain because those people are going to run out. And the ones that you want are the ones that are going to buy from you more and tell you more. You're going to have employees that are going to love what you want to do. That's going to help you expand. And that's how you win in business, right? And so that's where I talk about synchronicity or resonance. Signs, I absolutely believe in. 1111 is, is a typical one. Some other people see certain things. I was interviewing one person and it was really interesting. After her, her father passed away, she kept seeing these dimes and her daughter kept seeing this, this red bird all the time. And the day after I had had that interview, I was flying back to London, Ontario, and guess what? There was a dime right by my foot. And for the next few days, for some reason, dimes just came up. That can't be coincidence. I mean, these things just don't happen. There's also part of being intuitively connected, right? So you have these signs that you have. So even if people are halfway around the world, you intuitively know that something's happened to them. And it doesn't just go with them. I mean, pets are involved as well. There's a scaling expert of the UK. He knew his dog was shot dead. And the instant that it was shot, he made a phone call to his mother saying something okay with his dog. And of course, mom said no, but that was at that exact moment. So these happen way too much to, to be coincidental. Where I take a look at where people understand. So when you look at John Rothschild, for example, who is an investment banker, if we start talking about manifestation, if we start talking about signs, if he doesn't want to go there, that's not for me to push him into that area. He defines intuition based on his experience, his signals, his definition, how he wants to define it. Others, they believe in manifestation and all that stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. I play in all those sandboxes and I take people to as much as where they want to go. But my message is more, you've got these signals. They're all unique to you. So figure out what they are and start listening to them. Because when you do, that's how you surround yourself with the right people. And that's how you get your success. So my education is there based on the sandbox that they want to play in and how far they want to take it. And some people surprise me, like the NHL coach who said, yeah, it comes from the cosmos. Like I'm thinking, whoa, I mean, I would think that this guy relies on player data and stuff like that. And he's saying, no, at the end of the day, I may have all the stats who I decide to put on the ice makes a difference. And he was, he's telling me there was an overtime and he decided to pick someone that, you know, was on the bench and wasn't a star player. And the, all the these players are looking at him like, what? And all the coaches were kind of looking at him saying, what? And this guy has the shot that goes in and has them win the game. And so these are very practical examples. If you want to call woo a thing called intuition. And here's the tangible benefits of winning or losing a hockey game. Right. Yeah. Speaking of sandboxes, it's interesting that you use that word because this entire time, for some reason, my brain is being overwhelmed with this memory that I had of when I was young. I was probably about eight or nine. I went down to the elementary school with my brother and we were on the playground and there's this big, huge sandbox. And inside of it, there were all these toys you could play with. There was this three-story building. This was back when playgrounds were like super dangerous and high and fun. And we climbed up it and you would go on like the one first floor, climb a ladder, go on the second floor, go up the ladder. And you were at the top and you'd go down this huge slide. Well, there was a wooden piece, a plank missing. And my brother, he slid down the slide. He stood at the bottom and he told me he jumped off the top. 
he had made me promise him that if he did it, I would do it. My gut and my intuition said, he's lying. He didn't jump. And I sat there for 30 minutes and I finally jumped because I trusted him. And when I jumped, I thought I had broken my back. I was on the couch for days, really bad. And it's interesting that I keep going back to that memory because I continued to ignore my intuition over and over again throughout my life and put my trust in other people. I've been like that for so long. You know, we all have these regrets and these times that we can look back. I know you personally have one too around a friend of yours. How do we live with that? How do we forgive ourselves for those? Yeah. So what I typically do when, and I'll put you in the context of that friend of what happened, she reached out to me, this is an engineering and I was doing some personal coaching at the time and she was being stalked. Uh, consequently, she was actually in a mental uh, facility uh, at a hospital. And I remember seeing this guy and the vibes I got off of him were just like, I told her for some reason, I feel this guy is just staring at us. And she said, yeah, he's been pestering me. And I said, this is very unprofessional because he was a, a male nurse there. And I said, you should talk to staff because that's not healthy. And so she had gotten out and then she said, Sunil, look, this guy's stalking me. Can you meet me right away to give me some advice? I had to get out of that. And for some reason, those signals came and there were people saying, yeah, no, 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 let's go out tonight. And, and I said, yeah, maybe, maybe let's meet a couple of days later. Right. And I ignored those signals because of what a couple of people I want to have a beer. Uh, and the very next day, that same guy walked up to her at a bus shelter and put a bullet in her forehead. Uh, and I had the chance to stop that. Um, my intuition was screaming at me, meet with her that afternoon. I, I, I was just going for beer. That's, that's not as if I had anything critical going on. And I ignored that. What I do with people who similarly have sort of those kind of traumatic events is that I use things like NLP or hypnotherapy. And what we do is we get the emotional stickiness of what happened in the past out where you can still celebrate or not. doesn't mean you forget what happened, but what you do is you take the emotions out of that event. You learned from that, but there's no emotions that's tying you back to that event. When you release that, now you allow your intuition to be a lot more free flowing because remember your intuition hits the limbic part, which is the emotional center. So if that emotional center is jaded or stuck in something in the past, it's not as efficient coming out and helping you with those signals. I just had this this morning. Okay. So my dad died five uh -huh. years ago. I uh -huh. brought him to an, the hospital because I wanted to get him fixed, right? Well, he died 11 days later. And I always carried with me that God, I shouldn't have brought him. Maybe he would have stayed alive. So this morning I went through this. So my partner wasn't feeling well. And I suggest very strongly that he go get checked. Then I had this emotion that was pulling on me saying, then you might be responsible again for somebody dying. I mean, like, really? So then like, I'm like, wait a minute. No, uh, I'm not responsible for my dad's death. I, that's still something, obviously I have an emotional connection with even on the way driving him to the urgent care, had so much fear. Ultimately, I had to trust my intuition. My soul definitely was like, yes, can't live in regret. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, you know, I had my father-in-law die a couple of years ago as well, and we were very, very close to him. And what often we do is, is we go back and we think about what we could have done, what we should have done. But what I think about is I look at all the times where we really enjoyed 
a drink together. We took him to places in Canada because he's from India that most Indians don't get to even leave their country. And we were able to have him come a number of times, uh, experience things like business class, go to Montreal, like different cities. He was going, he went on an Alaskan cruise. And so those are moments that I celebrate to say we were able to really enrich his life so much so that he had great stories when he went back. And we were a part of that. If we shift even thinking about how much value you added to that person versus I coulda, shoulda, woulda then you change that dynamic. And this is also a bit of a bigger lesson. And if we look at regret, so many of us are looking at 65 or 80 and we regret things then. But what about today? Like if we don't live our life for today based on those signals your intuition is doing and making the decisions that are right for you. And that's what I had to do. I had to shift yeah. to be present to what was happening yep. here right now, not yep. what did happen. And so I, it's so important to do that. Yeah. I have a question. I was thinking about how, you know, what kind of feelings did I have when I listened to my intuition and something good happened versus when I didn't listen to my intuition. And one feeling that I had with both of those is, you know, kind of that tad bit of like my nervous system firing off. Now that can be misinterpreted. I mean, I like feeling nervous because sometimes I'll go, wait, I, my, my nervous system is firing off. So that must mean that this is a sign that I shouldn't do this when actually I should have, like, how do we really know, like what that feeling is leaning you towards? And I'm sure this comes to me having self-doubt issues. And, but what advice would you have for me? Yeah. So there's a couple of things that you, you want to do. One of the first things is, of course, we talked about getting the inventory of signals. So you, you're primed with knowing which, when you get that signal, that nervousness, what type of nervousness is there? And there's, this is where you get into the subtleties of it. The second thing I would suggest is there's something that I call intuitive mediums that you get into. And this is where you do things to cut out the noise and you sit back and you listen to the signals that come through a decision. So you're off of social media, you're taking a walk or in the shower or biking or doing something where your just mind is clear. And then you think about those decisions and what that nervousness starts to be is, is a bit of fear and there's, and again, you're in the limbic system. So it's either you're going to be eaten by a saber tooth tiger or you're not. And so it's the fear of getting into a decision that's going to put you in a bad situation. Or is this fear that it's a good situation? You're just afraid of change or failure or the unknown. A very good example of this is one of the, the fellows I, uh, I interviewed was a fellow by the name of David Dame. And he's had cerebral palsy all his life in a wheelchair. And he would always go on vacations, but never be able to go on the beach. He'd always sit, what if, what if? And he would ignore his intuition until a couple of years ago, he got that self-confidence to say, I'm going to do it this time. Uh, he goes to a vacation. Uh, his friends wheel him up because all he wanted to do is just feel the sand and water in his feet, which he's never had in his life. He gets wheeled up to the water sand barrier. He gets stood up feels the sand in the water and falls flat on his face. Embarrassment starts creeping in, shame and fear. And so he says, there's one of two things I can do right at this moment, Sunil. The first thing is to ignore my intuitive signal saying to keep going and forever regret, go back in my wheelchair, sit there for the rest of my life and forever regret turning that dream into reality. I am right here. Or 
I can listen to that intuitive signal that's saying, David, take that first step. David, take the second step. And the third step, you can do it because he knows those are positive signals. And he gets his people to start walking in. And then he points to the chin, his chin. And he says, the water gets about up to my chin level. And that's when he turns around. And so when you live in the present moment, you take those steps. And when you turn around, David was blown away by how far he had come. That's how you listen to your signals. That's how you battle the fear because, you know, the fear is actually something positive. You haven't done something like this in your life. And it's based on who you are, not who other people define you as. And that's that positive signal that you know. And it, you were asking earlier about whether, you know, it's, it's the right or the wrong feel, or sometimes intuition leads you down the wrong path. When you look at intuition, it's, it's either you've got a sense of ego or you fear or something like that, where you're tied to other people that stop you from moving ahead, that you're overly emotional. And this is where paying attention to your signals is really important. And one of the, the people I interviewed was a fellow by the name of Mark Metry. He has the Humans 2.0 podcast series. He's one of the top 100 on Apple iTunes. And he developed social anxiety to the point where he wanted to actually take his own life in high school. This guy was making five figures in high school. By all looks very successful, but he felt that he needed to fit in. And so he starts to tell the story about lying and lying and lying so he could fit in. And he got so far from who he was that the only solution that he thought he could have was to take his own life. And then, and he started that story by saying, Sunil, sometimes intuition takes you down the wrong path. And I said, well, Mark, let's back up. Because if you were to rewind this podcast interview with me, which I have done, before you started telling me the story of you lying, the way you started the story is saying, you said, intuition sometimes leads you down the wrong path. And I knew I shouldn't have lied, but. And then he went with the story. So even while telling his story, his intuition inserts itself to say, I didn't tell you to lie. You decided to do that because of ego. And that's the part of ego where you're trying to be part of the herd. You want to be seen by others. You want to be accepted by others. This guy was making five figures in high school, right? At doing what he did, what he loved, selling stuff and all that. He was a true entrepreneur back then. But because he needed to somehow fit in, he almost took himself from all of us to enjoy what he's doing now, which is in, in educating people on social anxiety. And so that's how you know the difference between yeah. really kind of trusting your signals and mm -hmm. making sure that you're not overly emotional. And that's mm -hmm. when you can go back into the intuitive medium and say, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I need to rethink this. I'm not sure where it is. Let's go to an intuitive medium. So for example, when I'm in the shower or just before I sleep, or even when I, I've got two girls and just before I put them to bed, uh, I'm in La La Land, like I'm daydreaming because they, I'm so relaxed beside them that I start thinking about strategy or marketing or what we're doing with some friends or what have you. And I'm out and I'm so focused. And those are the times where I'll think about a decision and I'll think about the intuitive signals. And sometimes the signals say, uh -uh, no, that's not a right decision. I'll mentally pull back and then have another path. So I've done it so many times now that I can do it like that. But some people need two, three times who cares? I don't care how many times you need to do it. The end result has to be the same. Whatever decision you make has a positive signal associated with it. Whatever decision you make that has a negative signal, take a step back, 
and find one that's going to give you a positive signal. If that takes you a couple of shots at it, it takes you a couple of shots at it because ultimately the decision has to be the make the one that you make that moves your life forward. And who cares what anybody says about that decision? It's not their life. It's yours. Have you ever heard of trusting your intuition, flipping the coin? You know, do I want the red car or do I want the black car? Okay. Oh, I see. All okay. right. Right. I'm going to flip a coin. I really hope that it's heads because I really want the black car. All right. I'm going to flip it. I mean, why even flip the coin? You got it right there. But we still are going to trust something when, yeah, you're right. you know, that first thought was what you should have went with. And, and that's you. That's you not trusting yourself. Right. right. Why yeah. do you need a coin? You're right. Why do you need a coin? Why do you need somebody else's blessing? Why do you need somebody else saying, yeah, you got it. If you think it's the red card, right. then it's a red but card. But I always bring that to people's awareness when they're trying to make a decision. They have, well, if you were to flip a coin, which one would you hope that it would be? Yeah. You know, and then it, really yeah. And then how, how do you feel when it lands on one? Because if, if, if it lands on the, on something and you're like, oh, bummer, well, then, you know, that it was the other yeah. one. Yeah. You know? You know, I, I wanted to just state that you are truly gifted at sharing other people's stories. It's like mesmerizing. Like you like suck us into like this story. Like we're right there with them. You're yeah. really gifted. You're really gifted at well, that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I love it. It's you're very powerful with your words. I see now why you're, you know, on demand as a keynote speaker. Mm. It's um, definitely a beautiful gift of yours. Um, the thing is, I think like when I'm listening to these people, like mm -hmm. I also get sucked into them. And sometimes like there's mm -hmm. jaw dropping moments that I get. And I just, for me, I think, oh my God, like sometimes I'm so blessed or I'm so like, look at what this person's gone through. Like somebody's gotten homeless. I, I, I just interviewed Rob Kelly, who went from a millionaire to being homeless on the streets for 14 months, spat on, shoes uh, taken off. And then he finds his intuition and he was now helping other people with addiction. Um, you know, and, and so when I'm listening to these stories, I'm almost putting myself there. So when I tell them, I'm in that same mindset, that same frame, when I was listening to their stories, like, oh my God. And I'm just yeah. transmitting that to other people to feel what I was feeling when I was listening to that story. Mm -hmm. it's interesting most of my intuition has come through come through really hard times I mean my intuition completely heightened after I got sober and then it heightened to a very insane amount after um, my second near-death experience to the point where I almost didn't like it like I could be standing next to someone and feel intuition about them even yep and yep. so you know, sometimes I can be very overwhelming. Yeah. And, and sometimes we also think that, you know, what, how much of our senses are part of this as well. And, and I've, I've interviewed a couple of people who are actually uh, blind. The interesting question for me was we sometimes use intuition visually to try and catch the, uh, the body language and the deception, but what if that's taken away from us? And in one case, she had a service dog and she would take the same bus route and the same alley to get to her home and get to school and get to wherever and work. And it was just the small things she felt from her service dog, that little hesitation uh, that was enough to say, hmm, there's somebody here that he doesn't like. So maybe we're going to walk away somewhere else or going down this alley and all of a sudden he, he just stops. 
And then for her, it's not asking him what's going on. It's just like, I think we better take another road. And somebody else who's blinded, who's a bodybuilder, she's actually won a number of competitions without being sighted. Uh, and she, when she trains people, she says, it's all about mindset. I can't see what I look like. But clearly my mindset and my, my trainers who I trust are the ones that get me on stage that win in a visual sport. Right. I, I think that's very interesting that you just pointed out that animals, they naturally have intuition, of course. Yeah. But yet, you know, a lot of people think that maybe it's a little woo-woo to be intuitive, which is ridiculous. Well, it's until a, they go through bad things. Yeah. Until it's, until they hear this podcast series. Yeah. Uh, or yeah, or until they until they, you know, the the shit hits the fan. Right. right. And, and you know. When I used to do my podcast interviews, now I start with the definition of intuition, intuitive signals, as you must have noticed. But when I first started my podcast series uh, or the interviews for them, the first question I used to ask was, when has intuition affected your life? And 100% of the time, it was the time where they hit rock bottom. And I remember this one person, she was saying, ah, I'm not sure what I talked to. And she was actually... I had a trainer, a personal trainer, it was his wife, and she was an IFBB pro athlete. So I wanted to find out, okay, how does intuition figure into an athlete's life and competition? That's the angle I wanted to have. So I approached her to say, oh, you know, like, can you talk about intuition and your your, your training? And she goes, I'm not sure. I'm not very good in, in the camera. She was really not up for it. And I said, look, a couple of things. One, we'll have lunch. And if you're not up for it, fine. We don't have to do it. And second of all, when we have the interview, if you don't like it, then we can always X out some parts or forget it, right? It's, it's totally up to you. You're in the driver's seat. So she got the courage, said, yes, okay, let's, let's do the interview. And so we go up to this room and I had my film crew with me and she goes, oh my God, who are all these people? And I said, oh, no, don't, don't worry about them. You look at me and let's have a conversation. And so cameras are on and I tried to ease her in and uh, she introduced herself. And I said, okay, so when has intuition affected your life? She took a deep breath and she goes, uh, I ignored my intuition and I was sexually assaulted. And the next 45 minutes, we talked about all the signs that her intuition was giving her. This was an IFBB pro athlete, yet somebody overpowered her to assault her. And she was happy to share that. There were so many signs. And even while we're going through the interview, she's asking, how come I didn't pick up on that? And why did I talk myself out of that? So it's almost that she's doing her own therapy as I ask the questions. But what became clear after those, that 45 minutes were the signals because we picked up on her signals and she walked away knowing what her signals were. When you pay yeah. attention to the signals, even though those things become more apparent and that's what you need to work on. This is just for me personally. I think organized religion has really steered people away from intuition because we're taught that if you listen to yourself, that's selfish, then you're not listening to God. And you're taught that if you choose to not have people in your life based off your intuition, then you're being judgmental. We need to even teach those younger generations on how it's okay. It's okay to trust and listen to yourself. Yeah. It's not selfish. Absolutely. And, I, and I've got a nine and 14 year old. And so both of them have, have obviously uh, have me talk about intuitionology and they kind of roll their eyes as dad. Oh my God, talk about intuitionology. But I had my younger one ask me when she was seven um, and I've been talking about it for years, but she says, dad, you know, you talk about these signals and, and how do you know 
what's a signal? Like, what's a signal? And I said, well, uh, her name's Divya. And I said, Divya, was there ever a time where you got this urge to, to, to say something to someone, you know, or do something and you followed through? And she goes, yeah. And I said, okay, well, tell me about that. So she was saying that she, uh, she was uh, uh, about to visit Santa Claus and she sits on his lap and he starts asking her questions and he says, dad, his breath was stinking. And so I remember my intuition <laughs> saying, I should ask him to eat a candy cane. And so I told him, Santa, would you mind eating a candy cane? And he ate a candy cane and his breath smelled much better. Oh and then she goes, God. that's how you trust your intuition. <laughs> oh, it's so adorable. Yeah. So I, you know, I kind of want to kind of flip this for a second because sure. something was popping up when you were telling me the story about the girl who she saw the signs and then she ended yeah. up, you know, being in a very unfortunate situation. A lot of people have this opposite personality type who are also intuitive and they are experts at gaslighting people to make them think that they're crazy and everything that they're, you know, following or doing within themselves is nuts. You know, what do you think about gaslighting? Yeah. So first of all, when people say that they're intuitive, I want to know how they define that. And it's not, I'll, I'll never ask them. Here's a very, very simple example. We talk about living in the present moment and I'm trusting my gut. I'm trusting my intuition. And we put it up on social media. And respectfully, how many people are actually doing that? First of all, I don't know if they're highly intuitive. I don't know what that means from my perspective based on the research I've done and the work I'm doing. And then when they're doing stuff like gaslighting, that to me is highly emotional. Uh, and so when you get overly emotional, there's absolutely no way you're in using your intuition because your intuition is telling you what you should be doing. Intuition is there to improve your life and improve the lives of others around you. And if you're going to start doing gaslighting stuff, that to me is just overly emotional. And then you're trying to convince other people to go and think about what you're thinking or you're trying to have other people you know, basically join your bandwagon. From my perspective, when you're trusting your intuition, people will naturally be drawn to you because of who you are, because of your authenticity, because of your story, right? They don't need to be forced or prodded or have their emotions heightened to bring you into their sphere. And so I find that gaslighting, that's what it is. And so I am who I am. And if people like my work or they like who I am as a person or enjoy my company, then they will naturally come. Their intuition will resonate with mine to say, I want to be this guy's friend. And as long as my intuition is saying, that's a really good guy or girl or, or couple or a uh, good situation, then I'll get into it. And it's a natural flow. There's no gaslighting. There's no convincing. Yeah. There's nothing like that that has to happen because I don't need to do that. You know, I find it really interesting that a lot of people think that when they're in the midst of the storm and the emotions are high, that right now my intuition is telling me to make this decision or this decision. Like if there's one takeaway that I've learned for myself today is your intuition is actually being silenced when you're in the storm and you need to create that calmness, yes. get in the shower, do the tools that you're offering people and then sit with yourself, bring awareness to that feeling and then make these decisions. That's yeah, freaking hard. A hundred percent. And a lot of times, especially with the, today's time and age with COVID and, and, you know, all the stress that's going on, you know, I've been busier than ever with both personal side and, and corporations. But for the first time, people are actually having those, those conversations with themselves. People are finding the time to really figure out what's my purpose? Like, what am I really doing? Companies are really asking, what were we doing? 
And how can we actually move forward? And why do people not like to work with us? Or why, you know, there's a lot of whys. And I'm finding that when you inject that purpose in people, again, based on intuition, the intuition leads them to figure out what they're going to do. It's been really exciting for me personally to have on a lot of guests who are helping big corporations to implement some more soul into their business. It's a beautiful shift to see. And this, what you're teaching is just another level to that, teaching these big corporations to make choices and to let their intuition drive them rather than their ego. So thank you for your work. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. That's going to have an amazing ripple effect. Yeah. And and it just comes down to a simple question. Do you want people working for you or not? What are you doing to keep them here? What are you doing them to make them like working here? What are your core values staying? Are they just something on a wall or are they feeling based? Can people really Mm -hmm. attach themselves to that? Do you really mean that? Right. Because that's what people are going to get attached to when you do that. I mean, how many, I don't know how many times I walked into a company and consulted for them. And I instantly intuitively know that either something is going to work or not. Now it doesn't mean I can't ignore the data and the processes to back that up because certainly that's the speak or the language I'm going to need, but knowing that this, they, they can or can't go down uh, a certain rabbit hole is something that I look at. And I remember one struggling company that was making about 400,000 revenues, cash flow was tanking like crazy. They asked me to come stop the bleeding. And like I said, they had cash flow problems. The first thing I did was I sensed that there was no trust between management and the employees. So I raised all the salaries despite them knowing that we're in trouble. I said, what? And I said, it's just a glimmer of hope to say that your skills are valued. You are a valued employee. And then the next step is to bring them into the fold and ask them, where should we do? What should we do? How can we improve? We were actually asking them for their opinion and implementing it. And when that happened, I could concentrate on expansion and they filled in everything else because somebody just trusted them. And we went from $400,000 almost to zero that if I didn't come in, we expanded to three and a half million in two years. That was all based on trust. Wow. That is freaking awesome. Just that glimmer of hope that making the right choice, showing them that they're rewarded and valued. It's interesting that there are some companies that become successful when not using soul and intuition. It all depends on what you mean by success, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. So as a leader, command and control type of leadership, and you teach everything transactional in nature with the employees, you know, how do you feel as an employee? or as, as a management person, right? And you can, I mean, success means, okay, so you, you make a bit of money and, and all those kind of things, but who cares, right? If you look at the statistics of even the people in positions nowadays, you know, in my generation, it was a lot longer. We we're staying in, in companies like, it, I think even my dad's generation, 12 years. Yeah, Gen Ys uh, are 3.9 years. Gen Zs are 3.2 years. I mean, sliding down. And so, Part of that could be people saying they're lazy, but I feel that they just want to feel treated well. They want to work at a company that's very, very excellent. We're measuring success on a static basis. And what you have to look at is the long-term. And so if you create a culture, culture is not something that you have, you develop. And that's by having people you love working for you. And when they love working for you, they're the ones that are going to want to produce more. And if you don't get on board with treating people like people, and you have that intuitive resonance, as I say, and you don't have people trusted, you're finished. 
because the competition is going to lap you up so quickly and you won't even know what happened. And now you're out of a job and you're going to be scraping by and okay, you may be successful. You might have a bank account, but who cares when you're 80 and nobody likes you? Who cares if nobody has a memory of you being a great leader or someone who could have a beer with or a coffee? That's the memory I want. You can't take that bank account into the grave, but it is the memories of how you affected people that really give me joy and that should give me, give other people joy. Uh, and so how do you want to define what your memories are like when you're sitting in that apartment alone or in that house alone and you've got memories that people didn't like you? I'm not sure that's a great memory to have. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> that got me excited. <laughs> Shanna, how are you feeling right now? Yeah, you know, I'm all about it because I mean, if I had a choice to buy a product from an asshole or someone who had good intentions, yep. I mean, a hundred percent, I don't even have to think about it. I would never pick the asshole. I don't care how good looking or how great, even your product might even be better. I would still rather go with someone who had better intentions. Mm -hmm. And I believe yeah. that's the way the world's going. These younger generations yeah. are just not having that inauthentic fake yep. shit. Yeah. And it, it, it doesn't even matter. I mean, you can have a commodity light item. And I, the one example I give is ketchup. I know, uh, you know, we used to be a Heinz family, but they came into a place called Leamington here and they um, just gutted the factory and went for something with the numbers. And I said, I'm not going to be buying Heinz ever again because they affected a community of people. I switched to something called French's and they're both the ketchup, right? It's a commodity item. I'm not going to buy Heinz. Like you love this thing. And then all of a sudden, you find out some shit about it and you're like, God, I will not support that. So, yep. you know, I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. And then if you think about the cost of somebody, let's say somebody at Heinz says, whoa, it was me. Let's bring these people back. It's not just the cost of your advertising to bring me back to Heinz. It's also the cost of you pulling me out of my decision to support French's. So your cost is more than double. And so you've lost the game there because now your costs are skyrocketing for what you think is the same amount of profit. That's not a very good mathematical equation whatsoever. My daughters can do that and say, that's a negative number, dad. Uh, absolutely. So don't screw it up. We were talking earlier about children and a lot of people think that I can't do it or I'm too old or what have you. You know, you can start at any age, right? And when it comes to kids, if you've got kids, don't say, start saying no. Let, let them figure out the possibilities. Let them do things that they want as much as my nine-year-old does. And for those watching, you can see the paintings behind me. My daughter raises money for disabilities and illnesses, which she got an intuitive hit after seeing some people in India paint with no arms. She's been an artist. And her intuition is saying, I want to do something about that. And I told her, her name's Avni. I said, Avni, this has got to come from you. You know that. And six months later, she got an intuitive moment, said, dad, I'm ready. I'm going to raise some money. I'm going to hold pop-up events. We're going to have a fundraiser and we're going to bring people together. They're going to paint to express themselves for free. And I said, okay, are you sure? Said, yep. So we opened up a federal nonprofit corporation. She raised over $5,000, wanting to raise 2,500 in your first fundraising event. She brought a bunch of people together and the purpose of what she did, and this is why when you have purpose, we're talking about a business when you're driven by purpose, that's how people get attracted to you. And at a pop-up event, one of the fellows had um, Parkinson's disease. His name is Carl. And he said, Avni, come here. Let me tell you what this event is doing for me. And his left arm, for those watching, is shaking violently. 
and he dips his paintbrush in the paint and starts to paint. He hasn't painted in 28 years and the arm just settles. And he says, this is what your event is doing for me. She's raised over $30,000. She has her own podcast series and she's 14. What? Oh, she's that 14. is beautiful. Wow. Can we have so, her on? <laughs> absolutely. She's doing podcast Amazing. interviews now. She's actually getting guests saying yes to her and no to me because I'm not as cute. Uh, I, I don't know how that works. <laughs> that is what is her podcast called? Heartification.com is her website. So you can go on there. There's links to Spotify, um, all the major channels. Beautiful. That's amazing. You know, I feel like it's appropriate right now. I want to give a shout out to someone in my life who used their intuition. Yeah. When I was in ICU and my, I was in a nine day coma from my asthma attack. My lungs had holes in them and my organs had shut down and my body was dying and they were bringing in my children to say goodbye to me. And my nurse, Rosa Sloan, who my little girl's named after, uh, she, based on intuition, without doctor's orders, went against rules and turned down the amount of breaths that were going into my body and into my lungs. And it was her choice that she made by her intuition that saved my life. Wow, that is a powerful mm -hmm. story. Yeah, great conversation with you today. Can you tell our listeners where to find you? Give a shout out to your social media, your website. Tell them about your blog, your podcast. Just give them all your yumminess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you can go to intuitionology.com forward slash podcast. It's called the Intuitionology Podcast Series. I'm rebranding it to the Intuitive Wake Up Call. So that should be probably a week or 10 days before it hits the airwaves. Um, yeah, but it's the same podcast series. Uh, and then I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on TikTok, not doing dancing. Because if I do dance, intuitive signals are going to go all over the place saying, I'm not going to follow this guy. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and then if you want to learn about intuitive branding on the business side, there's sunilgodsey.com. Books are both available there. And the seven day challenge is also available on intuitionology.com as well. And now it's time for break that shit down. Above all, just find out your intuitive signals surround yourself with the right people and things will be really good for you. Break through the fear, trust yourself because just like David Dame, you take that one step and the second step becomes easier and the third step becomes much easier. And that's how you start living a life full of success intrinsically. And when you do that, you attract the right people in your life that are going to help support you in your foundation to be successful in every area of your life. That is perfect. Thank you so very much for being with us. I can tell you're very intuitive. You were like personally talking to us. I chatted Shanna at the beginning and said, is he talking directly to me right now? <laughs> and my answer was, yeah, he's intuitive. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for being a light in the world. Thank you. Thanks for being with us today. We hope you will come back next week. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate, like, and subscribe. Thank you. We rise to lift you up. Thanks for listening.